could you take a little bit off the top, off the top, and then the the lady cutting your hair just goes, "Nature already did." All right, easy, fatty. Welcome to Catching Foxes, a podcast brought to you by layevangelist.com. I'm Gomer, and I'm with my pal Luke, and this episode, number 12, is entitled, Everything is Wrong! Everything is Awful! Most comedians really only have about a five to ten year run in terms of movies to be consistently funny. And a lot of times, the culture has... Um, is a part of, like Well, the cultural dynamics are a part of that as well. So for... Example, who's one of the biggest stars of the late 70s, early 80s? Chevy Chase. Oh, yeah. Who was in the 80s? Um, you had your um, Eddie Eddie Murphy, even a Bill Murray to um, a certain extent. In the 90s, you had, your, you had um, Mike Myers and Adam Sandler. And in the, um, you know, in... Of the mid to late part of the first part of the 2000s, whatever we're calling that, the, the O's. The aughts. The aughts. Uh, that was that was a Will Ferrell thing. I don't know who to be now. Like, who's the main guy now, you think? The main guy? The main funny man? Yeah, like, who's Adam the Sandler. That? No, no. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I'm just like, kidding. you idiot. You homeschooled idiot. No. Um, sorry, that... That was harsh. No, it's okay. I deserve it. I was out of touch. <laughs> I was watching nothing but TV land and Nick at Night. <laughs> That's all my mommy and pappy would let me watch. I was raised on a steady diet of Golden Girls, so what is? Uh, that's a lot of silence there. Come back to me, Gomer. I'm sorry. But right <laughs> when you said that, someone posted a picture on Facebook, so I should just get off Facebook. But it was... Kanye West meets Caitlyn Jenner for the first time, and it's him and and the camera or the image is just zoomed in, and he has the most horrified look on his face. And <laughs> I didn't even realize that you had said that about the Golden Girls. But the Golden Girls, I respect them. Do you know who used to write on that on uh, that show? Who? Everyone. Will Ferrell. <laughs> no. Um. Joss Wheaton. He used to write for Golden Girls. Uh, yep. Like all these guys right now who are big uh, writers and the directors all worked on Golden Girls back in the 80s. It's crazy. If you go, if you go and look at it, the guy who created Arrested Development, I think his name is Mitch Hurwitz or whatever, uh, they all wrote on Golden Girls. It's, it's insane how much comedic talent there was that wrote that show. Like it's actually insane. Wow. So I'm sure that people have, have already stopped listening. So at this point in time, let's get to the stuff that we're going to talk We are about. literally talking about Golden Girls. And I am I am scrolling through looking. <laughs> there, I knew you were going to be on IMDb seeing who wrote it. I am I am lost in a, uh, the Wikipedia article. What am I doing? Mental floss. 20 fun facts about the Golden Girls. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, Lord Listen, have mercy. I just can't wait for that sponsor money to start coming in. Keep listening, kids. <laughs> Gomer's kids have got to eat. Blanche was hot. Um, <laughs> uh, we have fans, Luke. Did you know that we have fans? Not just Facebook likes that you uh, that you soiled yourself with pressuring everyone that you're friends with to like our our Facebook page. Critical mass. Critical mass. You got to have it. Even though we're still not up to 100, but subscribers to our podcast, we're on near 385 to 401 or whatever it is. It's crazy. 
which is awesome. So I want to thank everyone who's out there listening. Um, there's uh, some awesome feedback that we've been getting lately. Um, people just out of the blue writing affirming emails like, dude, I laugh the entire time and you make me think, you know, I'm happy to think I'm thinking about all these issues and whatever. Someone else wrote about uh, we're helping them spiritually as well as just getting through their commute, which is awesome. Someone else mm-hmm. wrote how much they love <clears throat> Five Iron Frenzy. Yeah. I knew that have a special place in your heart. Um but there's there's a lot of awesome stuff, but there's also people giving us some questions and things to think about. Um, and honestly, I, when we were talking before the show, planning what we were going to talk about in this episode, I have no idea what we're supposed to talk about in this episode. <laughs> so what did you want to talk about, Luke? The darkness of humanity. Golden girls to the darkness <laughs> of humanity. Okay. How do we go from wings and golden girls and Will Ferrell to Josh Duggar? Oh, damn it. The Duggar thing, can I just talk real quick about the Duggar thing and then move on? Because I don't want this to turn into a gossip column, even though that will give us the highest ratings. Um, the My wife is was a fan of 19 Kids and Counting. Aaron, too. Okay. And it, their whole thing was like, yeah, they're, you can tell that they're different, but they really do seem to love each other. Blah, blah, blah. Seal pass, all that stuff. The shows are great. The cameramen talk about how, like, no, this family isn't fake. They really do love each other like this. Um, and you'll hear stuff like that. And then the scandal broke that Josh Duggar had molested when he was what, like 14, he had molested like his two sisters and someone else mm-hmm. or something. And yep. the records were sealed and he went off to counseling, disappeared for a while, like up to a year or something like that. Um, and then he supposedly comes back all cured as parents were concerned and put in some safeguards, but they kept it completely silent. And then somehow, which this is the part that's super shady, um, is, I mean, now the guy's married. He just had four kids that are five and under, so it's like my family. Uh, yeah, can you imagine that? That's what my wife said. She goes, they have, they just had their fourth kid. And I go, well, how old are, are all the others? And she's like, the oldest is like five. And I was like, oh, my God, who would have four kids five and under? Oh, shit, me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's that's the reason why I don't sleep. But uh, he – and then it comes out, you know, and so people are, like, defending him. Like, no, listen – Maybe it isn't as bad as people are making out that there's a witch hunt, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then it comes out with the Ashley Madison hack that he uh, spent almost $1,000 on a subscription to this in order to have an affair. uh, Oh, yeah. Sorry. I got you off. Ashley Madison is a horrible website that basically allows people to come and have affairs. Obviously, it's like two-thirds of it is just all dudes and about one-third of it is women from the stats that I have read about it. And the, and some hackers got in there and they released the contact information of all the people who had created an account on this site that again, is made specifically for to people who want to try to have an, an affair. Um, dark stuff, oh, man. dark, dark stuff that, it, that, that wouldn't even exist. Yeah. And two, this, this information is being, release and people are going to start to go down like people and what we're going to hear about the most is probably people who actively preach against this stuff so people who have more of a who are more on the right in terms of their moral swaps i don't know yeah no i mean who have a traditional view of sexual morality yeah 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 that's a much better way of saying that uh i should probably learn how to talk 
on so many levels. Uh, and sew. You should learn how to sew, too. It's just a handy skill. Yeah. You know, I can make a doll out of pantyhose and polyfill. Are you serious? I can sew. I can sew like a motherfucker. Really? And I didn't know that about you. Fifth grade, that's what we had to do. It was one of our projects. And secretly, all the guys were like, this is so dumb. And I'm like, I like sewing. I'm making a doll. I'm making a doll out of my mom's pantyhose. I feel awkward about the last part. but (laughs) Go get me a Philly sandwich. Michael, go get me a hoagie, you freaking bastard. Mom, you can't call me a bastard. I'm not a bastard. I'm your child and dad's child. Eh, whatever, you son of a bitch. When my mom would get really mad at me, she would call me a son of a bitch. And as a, you know, you, you shut your mouth, you son of a bitch. My mom's from Philadelphia. And so when it would just, you know, we're going crazy. Everyone's yelling. And uh, I remember one time when I was in college and I was at home and she did that. She yelled at me like that. I just looked at her and all the anger immediately went away. And I go, you can't, you can't say that. <laughs> and she's like, what? And I go, you. You just called yourself a bitch because I'm your son. And then Armageddon <laughs> broke loose after that. But I was like, it was too funny. I had to point it out. Your mom's like, Benjamin Franklin. All right. Uh... <laughs> Our forefathers didn't make the Philadelphia the freaking United States capital so that you could run your mouth against your mother. You shut up, you son of a bitch. Jesus, God help me. <laughs> Michael. Oh, God. That was my high school career. Michael. Michael. Oh. That's how she woke me up when I was wow. homeschooled. <laughs> Michael, it's 10 o'clock, you lazy son of a bitch. What, is it noon already? <laughs> Why do you want me to wake up and, and make a big sound and watch Law & Order? Anywho. Neil Smith. All right, so. So um... this is the darkness of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I want to pull it back to connecting it with Ashley Madison, which is a website where you go to pay to, you subscribe to it to have your profile out there. You list what you're looking for, and you you list uh, like what you want in the other woman and what you like. So you're like, I'm looking for a woman who is black and athletically built, or you know whatever it is. And all of that information is tied to a username, and the username is tied to a credit card. Now they found out you did a search. They found Josh Duggar, and the credit card was his grandmother's house where he lived for uh, like a couple years. So, they, I mean, this is beyond repute. This is him. And then he released a statement this morning saying, yes, I've had two, uh, you know, fairs and I'm on the, I was on the website. But he spent almost $1,000. And so a friend of mine posted on Facebook, like, the problem with this is this is intentional. This isn't I had a close working relationship with someone and, you know, one thing led to another. Or I had a friendship that got inappropriate. It was like I am home alone. I'm searching on a computer. I want to have an affair. I'm booking it with this person. I'm going to go and meet them somewhere in a couple of weeks. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's a whole new level of depravity and unrest in your marriage and conju- chastity just breaking down completely. I literally wrote to that person. You know what they need? They need Chastity is for Lovers by Arlene. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It, it you know, when I got, the, so I, during the month of, July, I was pretty pretty much um, not in tune with, with what was going on within the world as a whole. So I'd heard things happen with Jared from a subway. Oh, and then it yeah. wasn't until the other day that um, I found out that he was being charged with child pornography and was pleading guilty. And it rocked me. I don't know. I, I really cannot emphasize enough how depressed that made me. I don't – I mean I think it's because of the horrificness of his – crimes and the perversion of it and just the 
and I was like, what the hell is happening? Yeah. Like, what the hell is – like, this guy – because I had heard his nonprofit – the guy who was charged of his nonprofit was being charged with those things. And he was being – this is before I heard he had been arrested. And then he was being investigated and then they were just trying to do like – like he was helping them out or something. And then it turns out he was involved with this. And it's just – humanity's dark. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I said the other day – Dark, dark, dark. I I said the other day when I was giving a talk to – uh, my parish and school staff at my church. I was doing a retreat for him, and I just said, "I don't understand how anyone can doubt the reality of original sin. Like, it's not that we're not smart enough. See, that that's the fun. You know, Socrates. Not to get all philosophical, but Socrates believed that we we did these things because we just didn't know enough. You know, so his whole thing was ignorance, which isn't compatible necessarily with the notion of sin. Sin means I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway." And that is a deeper level than just like, I'm not choosing what is my ultimate good. And I feel like when you, you know, with me, with, with, you know, don't want to bring it up again, but pornography, right? Like I knew pornography was wrong, but I first saw it when I was in kindergarten and I had built up a cat. I mean, it was a, a, an avalanche of emotion and history and preconditioned behavior and triggers and all this stuff that pushed me over the, I mean, that, that was such a. And trying to claw my way out of it was such darkness for me. I mean, mm-hmm. you want to talk about the darkness of humanity. I hated myself. I hated and I was exhausted putting on an act for other people. And so you see someone like, I mean, this whole Jared from Subway thing, if you don't know, he had child pornography and apparently a lot of it on his uh, personal computers at home and was a part of some sort of child pornography ring that at least was connected with this dude that was a president of his children's health foundation. You know, what was it like a weight loss thing for children or something? Um, and, and you just hear about this stuff and I don't know how people can't believe in original sin. This is, this is like, it's not like I'm not smart enough. It's there's something inside of me that's broken. I don't do the thing I want to do. And I do the very thing I hate. That's what St. Paul said in Romans. I don't do the thing I wanted. How many times did I sit there looking at pornography saying like, I don't want to do this, but I feel like I have to, you know, or how many times did I get up and walk away and find freedom in that for like a night and then run back and indulge it, you know, like, and the darkness, if you don't have hope, it's just going to get darker. It's just going to get darker because the Ashley Madison's of the world, there is always someone on Tinder. Is like the Ashley Madison mobile, gone mobile. Like, just swipe. Who do I want to have an affair with? And now people on Tinder, what they're not realizing is because all these hookup apps do it locally, right? It's like, who's around you? And all of a sudden, your pastor shows up or your CEO shows up. Or, and you're like, wow, this is a married man who says, I'm open to pretty much anything or whatever it says. Yeah. it's. Uh, I think it's very easy to become overwhelmed. And... I found – and this is the thing I think a lot of people don't understand about our sin is that it's it's not just a thing that's on paper that you have violated. There are natural consequences to that both to yourself and the relationships that you have both with God uh, and with your friends and your family. Like there's – Absolutely. Absolutely. There are ramifications and we forget that like – when my dad died, um, people that week 
the whole week. So from the time that he died to the time that we had um, his mass for him because he was cremated. So we didn't have like a, we didn't have it was um, we called it his celebration. But uh, I, I forget the the um, liturgical term, but it doesn't matter. Um, anyways, that week feels like it, it was like a gigantic day. I remember oh, once everyone had finally left being like, oh, my gosh, this was the longest day of my life. Because it just felt like one whole day. It's really weird. But I remember being on the phone with our buddy Marty. This is during that week. And I was out with some people just kind of like hanging out, just doing whatever, trying to get my mind off of it. And uh, he called me and asked how I was doing. And I said, you know what? I'm like – Okay, and like I sounded great, and you know, and I, I was and I was explaining like how I was kind of good, which I mean, of course, I was like horribly. I mean, I was at a loss for words almost with like what had happened, still trying to comprehend the new reality that I was existing in. But and I remember, I will never I forget this. He, at, he, he told me he said, "Uh, hey man, I really know. Like, I appreciate that you're trying to like." be be strong but you don't have to lie to me like how are you doing and i remember just going no i'm actually i'm i'm okay like i'm really doing okay because like i think what was weird for a lot of you guys was you had seen me react worse over a breakup than uh i was over my own dad's death and i think and then why i'm bringing this up is i was having a really hard time at that point in my life, it was actually probably one of the worst, one of the worst, one of the worst like seasons of my life, hands down, was that time period. It was the summer of uh, 2008. And uh, sorry, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to uh, f- trying to d- determine how to put this the right way. Uh, when I when I went through that, it was a horribleness that was not of my own creation. Like when I went through my dad's death, I didn't cause that to happen. So the the depravity that I experienced was a loss of a person, but I hadn't torn myself away from God or away from my own, or away from my um, own family or, or, or anything. And I think that that allowed me to carry it that 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 allowed me to accept the the grace to carry that cross during that time. And I'm I don't know if I'm, I don't know if this makes any sense at all. Do you kind of see Yeah, a, so you're saying that? like you were going through a period in your life where it was really rough because it was a, so many self-inflicted things. But with your father, the hurt and the loss and the very real suffering that you felt was one of that uh, not of your own making. You didn't cause all this, you know, the suffering and the hurt and the pain. Mm-hmm. It was something outside of you that happened, as opposed to that allowed you to grow closer to God and to your family members. Yep, it honestly restored my faith in God in a way, which sounds crazy. No, because to I say. remember you. I mean, now that you're saying this, I remember that time and like us. Every so often, we would have talks where you would say, "It's funny that we're talking about this because." I use the I think about this conversation or the this conversation that we had back then uh lately which is you would say to me you know 
sometimes I don't even know if God exists. I feel so distant. And that was like a common conversation that we were having. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. it's, and then it was, but the follow-up question was, well, how often are you praying? How often are you seeking God? And you're like, I just feel like I can't pray. And it was mm-hmm. this pull constantly. Like there's the sin that's very real. And then there's the, the sin causes you to want to be away from God. Mm, yep. You yep. know, it's like when I would look at porn at Franciscan, you know, I, that sounded weird. When I was in my room, and I would fall into pornography, you know, especially my freshman year. And then I'm on my way to theology class. You know, it was mm-hmm. like yeah. daggers in the guilty man's heart, right? It was like, you know, you couldn't escape it. And, of course, it's Franciscan's campus. You can't go eight feet without someone, I don't know, speaking in tongues and crucifixes everywhere. <laughs> and uh, Father Michael Scanlon walking by and just waves, yeah. of, grace, <laughs> waves of grace washing That's over. Horrible. I feel terrible. But yeah, sorry. Let the fire fall. Let, let it fall. fall. I mean, he's so great. He just passed. He is. No. No. Did he? No. 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 He's, he's, he's infirm. He's infirm. He is? Dr. Scott Hahn took a – the only way I know that is I follow Dr. Hahn on Facebook. Oh, well, I saw that. Oh, yeah, because yeah. I would have been, been devastated. I know. He is I, awesome. He phenomenal. was so amazing. Um, but the the idea of at that time – you know, and it's so hard to hold each other – like I hate using this word sometimes, but hold each other accountable. You know, it's like – because in my time, the roughest parts are when it's these constant self-inflicted wounds. Because it's like if I'm close to God, I can weather any storm. But when I'm pushing God away, it doubles on where, like, I don't even want to be reminded of God because then I just feel more guilty. Mm. And for me, that's the that's the cycle. I mean, for me, like, that's what happens is I feel, okay, God, I'm knocking on your door again, asking for the same, you know, forgiveness for the same sin that I do every single time. And Pope Francis had a great line where he says, though we might grow weary of asking God forgiveness for the same sin, the Father never grows weary to give us that forgiveness. Yeah. And, and I don't want anyone to think that if you went through a, a loss or a hard thing, that it means that like you were in like, that you were like a sinful person or something, or you were in a bad spot or you uh, lacked grace or anything like that. I just think that yeah. for some reason, that's just kind of how it played out for me. And, and you're right. It's so, here's, here's the thing that's, that's crazy. I mean, what Josh, what Josh Duggar did, what Jared did is horrible. It is hor- it is horror, especially what Jared did to me. It's just like freaking. Yeah. It's just the worst of the worst. And but there, but by the grace of God, go I. You know, like we're all so broken. We're all so. Now I'm not saying that like, I mean, like obviously I'm not gonna like go molest kids or something like that. That's just that's horrible. Yeah. Um, but I think we do need to have. Like, like grace is a very, very real thing. And I remember I was, I went through a breakup and I got really bitter, really, really bitter to the point where I did a one day retreat. I begged these two guys who are now, um, who are now, who now have their own order. They are, they are, um, they are both priests and, um, and I asked them to like help me just I wanted to do a retreat and the idea was to get like my spiritual right because to get my spiritual life on track and but honestly in my mind I was I want to be healed of this. And they were and so we did like a whole bunch of stuff that day and, and again and it was all about my own interior life, but my entire focus was on the brokenness of that broken relationship. It was if you can't tell, I was broken. 
<laughs> Father, you're found in the broken, so as broken yeah. we come. <laughs> broken of being broken. Um, and I remember they were praying over me that night, and they kept saying, get off of your mat and walk. Mm. And I was like, but it hurt, but I'm hurt. And they just kept saying, get off, get up off your mat and walk. And I just, they kept repeating it over and over again. They're like, Luke, you're healed. You are healed from this. You're choosing to stay in this choosing to stay in this spot and i was like no i'm I'm being so mad i'm like no i'm not i would i wouldn't i want nothing more than to get out of this i want a nothing more than to see her on facebook or on my space of time and not just feel pits of despair and a rejection and anger like i i want out of this and i realized like no you don't uh you're too comfortable here. You're not willing to own healing or to say, you know, like you're not, you're just like, I don't know. It was, it was really crazy. And I mean, so this went on for another freaking year, another year of the, the same bullshit. Uh, in terms of you just sitting in this misery. Yeah, I think so. Or you committing more misery on yourself. Both. Oh, there you go. I just like I just refused. like a new relationship or returning to the old one or what? Um, I I tried a to date and it wasn't fair to the girl that I had dated. And oh wait, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get my my time right. Um, so this was 2000 and so this was 2000. So the retreat happened right before New Year's of 2006. So like early December of 2000. And five. And then the following around t- early 2007. So, so like, I mean, barely more than a year afterwards, I had run into her and it was just, and I thought I was, there were times that I thought I was fine. There, I mean, there were honestly, there were times when I was completely fine and was healed and w- experienced a lot of grace. And, you know, I had kind of dated a few other girls here, here and, and there, I uh, gotten some gotten really great. Like I gotten, um, I improved my health. It was, everything was just kind of, everything was going honestly pretty well. Jogging but, Luke. This is jogging Luke. Oh, that's when I used to run around Franciscan in my pajama pants and a hoodie. You remember that? <laughs> Those were the uh, I was your roommate and you would come back and said jogging pants and then take a nap without changing <laughs> them. And I had to just look over at you from my tiny bed and you in a queen size bed and be like, Oh, I hope that button does not come undone. So, uh, <laughs> Um, anyways, I was there with, and so anyways, I I just, anytime I just, it was so easy to go back to. And I, I I think that pain I felt over that breakup, I threw so much of my other personal pain into that. And I really wasn't taking it to the Lord in a way where it was like, get rid of it. I think I was more going to him, justify the way that I feel. Mm Hmm. You know, tell me that like I'm I'm in the wrong or I'm in the right. I'm a good like tell me that I'm a good person. Like make me feel these things is what I really wanted. And instead of instead of going and instead of here's 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 what was actually going on. Instead of and during those key moments where I would fall back into that, because it really was like it would be like a couple of weeks, I'd be fine. And then all of a sudden to be like, I can't love again. It was so yeah. stupid. It was so stupid. And well, uh, you are a very emo kid. So this yeah. is, this is a, 
a place in your life that you you have mapped out the terrain. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely, and um, and but it it was a, it, it reached a point where I was like, I can't do this, like, yeah, I can't do this is emotionally, spiritually exhausting. I was ruining relationships and friendships. It was, it was bad, and this poor girl just like has to be like, okay, sorry. <laughs> like you know yeah. and um and it ended up and it, you know i was i was just instead of turning outwards like i i think when i was being called to to get up off of my mat and walk god was calling me to look outwards and to trust mm. and which meant putting one foot in front of, of the other putting my energy in into good stuff and like you know just life goes like it's cuz Ultimately, with that stuff, it's time. Yeah, and so and you can't rush it. There's no shortcut. No, There's no life no. hack. You there is. That's the two element, right? You have to sit in it in order to process it. You have to go through it. You can't make an end run around it. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you have to be going through. You can't just stop and be like, you know what? This is my life right now. And you, you know what's what's crazy is I think part of me was so convicted that that was what my identity was. Yeah. That if a girl was ultimately going to like me, I lucked out. Like I had to hit the lottery. Yeah. And um, that's why I think chastity was so hard for me to practice because I, I just wanted that, you know? And so it really it came to a point and then I, I will never I forget. This is when everything changed. Um, my buddy Paul just goes, he was just hearing me out and everyone had heard me talk about this a million times. And he just goes, you know, you just have to forgive her. Like Christ forgave you. So what right do you have to not forgive her? And at the moment I was like, oh shit. And we prayed that and I kind of like did that. And I think it was more forgiving myself than I was her. Cause she didn't ultimately didn't do anything that wrong. Um, and it was fine. Yeah. From that a moment on. That was you getting totally off. Fine. You getting off the mat. <laughs> yeah, that? yeah. It took it took a solid, you know. And sometimes we have to be okay with that. Like, yeah, you just we have to. I don't know. And it's 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 very easy to like look at our world right now and go, "Oh my gosh!" Like, are you serious? Yeah, like, everything the, is wrong. Everything is awful. Like, like the Planned Parenthood stuff. Like, oh, it's just like, like what is happening? Like, what is going on? They are literally smiling and talking about getting Lamborghinis so that they can charge more because they can charge more for body parts. And one woman said she formerly used to do it because one day they – she said another woman next to her is like, hey, look at this, and then poked a baby's body and the heart started beating. It was like, isn't that cool? And then it's like, OK, right here on the face is where you need to cut so we can get to the brain. Oh. Right? And so she's like, I have to stab this baby's face. And this baby's heart's beating. Is this murder? Is this alive? Is this a, you know? And and she left her job because of it. And that was the last last of the interviews that was just dropped. But the the darkness that is here, like I don't understand how people can't see. Like the darkness is not going away. I tell this to people whenever I do the the uh, a talk on the eight beatitudes. When I get to blessed are the peacemakers. War just happens, but peace has to be made. You got to fight for peace. You got to wage peace. I feel like the we get it is so easy. It is so easy to get defensive and to get hurt and to become a victim. 
and to stay in that mentality than it is to overcome that with, with, um, with love, right. To overcome that with something like mercy, like, and you are just as much a slave in your, in unforgiveness to someone else. You're just as much a slave as they are to their past sin to you. And that's the thing that I don't think people understand. Like we forgive people because Jesus Christ told us to love our neighbor and to forgive our enemies, right? To love our – G.K. Chesterton has a great line where he says, Christ told us to love our neighbor and to love our enemies probably because they're the same person, right? And the <laughs> the reality with that is it's, sometimes it's comfortable to hate. Yeah. Sometimes it's comfortable to hurt – to be hurt, right? Like I remember when me and my – now, wife, when we broke up and I tried to propose in order to win her back, <laughs> which always works. It only took me six or 12 times. But uh, <laughs> that I remember I was going through such a dark place in my relationship that uh, Brother Peter Francis uh, was my roommate. And I, I just remember trying to talk to him about how horrible I felt. And he was like, we'll do this. We'll do that. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll move on. We'll do this. And I'm like, I can't. And he just put his hands up like he surrendered. And he's like, I'm done with this conversation. I don't know what else to say. And I'm like, and that's the freaking point. And he's like, dude, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I said, yes, there is. And it's an oncoming train that's about to hit me. You know, and it was just this wave of me being very dramatic. But the, the, the reality is we can become very comfortable in our chains. And, you know, I mean, we can become comfortable with being a victim, with being hurt, that that doesn't downplay that we have been victimized, that we have been hurt, but that's not where we're meant to remain. That's not our identity. And the big thing with that, I think a lot of times it's that some people miss is that the hope is in, okay, so our, our hope is in God. And that hope, I mean, it is, I, I truly believe I'm, I'm and I'm not just going for a laugh with my obsession of all things Brave St. Saturn. Brave St. Saturn. Mm-hmm. The bravest thing of all really is hope. Yeah. Like it, it's so crazy how important. I, I remember one time in college going to a confession with a, a Father Mike and he used the saying, pray for the gift of hope. Yeah. He, he said, said, pray for the supernatural gift of hope. And what's incredible about that is that God in turn – this is from my own from my own from my own experience. God works in reality. Yeah. So like it's not just a thing that's like happening in theory. It's it's it's, it's happening within my own life. And a lot of times the grace that comes can come in the form of counseling, mm. or reading a book. I mean, I one time to get over a girl. I'm not kidding. I did buy a book called How to Fall Out of Love. Oh. Yeah. Just it was. You remember that? No, I don't remember that. I just that? at first I just started laughing. I had a joke that I was going to make, and then I realized Luke is being very humble and honest right now. <laughs> now is not the place to make fun of Luke. But it was really true, like you know, and this, um, and to be honest, I had to. I had to. I was falling apart, and I had to buy that book, and it it helped, you know. And and it 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 was not an answer. It was not an end all and a be all, but it. It helped, you know, and I think so many times we go like we're oh, the classic thing about the guy on the boat who is stranded out in sea and he's like, the Lord is going to save me. And you know, the boat comes. It's like, the Lord is going to save me. And they go, OK. And then a helicopter comes. It's like, the Lord is going to save me. And then he dies and he goes, God, why didn't you save me? And God goes, I sent a boat and a helicopter. Yeah. And we miss where God is. You know, we forget that he's in 
a reality and that he's so present in our lives and through other through other people mm-hmm. you know or that or that our suffering can you know and i'm not saying that like if you are depressed like keep like like a depression is a real thing and i'm not trying to knock people who go through things that i've certainly have had seasons of that but uh like god i don't know it's so because I don't want this to all be about like, oh, the world is horrible. Like there's, there's so many great things too. There is. But I want to talk about – I want to go back to your, your dad's uh, passing and something that you said. You sure. like issued that disclaimer. Like now I'm not saying your suffering and loss is like this because – but one of the things that people might not know is that your father um, had ailments that led ultimately to his death. That uh, not exactly. Well, but, I mean, so, he yeah. was in very poor health because of an accident that had happened. Yeah, yeah. He was on yeah. like all sorts of shots and medications. It was that, horrible, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember him like with a tackle box next to his chair. Yep. Of like the needles and all this stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, it reminded me when I dated this really wonderful girl back at Franciscan. She took a, a sociology class called "Death, Dying, and Bereavement," and she said, you know, we had to visit like hospices. It was a very hands-on kind of thing. And interview people who were grieving and just talk with them and all this stuff. And she said – and I said, okay, well, how do you want to die? And she said, I hope that I do not die quietly in my sleep, but it's a long illness and all this stuff. I'm like, what? And she's like, not for the pain. She said, but in America today, we are so afraid of death and of talking about death and of preparing ourselves for death. She said, I'd want, number one, to be able to prepare myself for death. But she said, number two, to talk to my family to where it's obvious, like I'm going to die in a month, in two months, whatever it is, and to gather all the people around and say the things that you want to say to them and mend the relationships and repair the wounds so that – she said, so that when you die, you, you you don't have any regrets. She's like, I can't tell you how many people, number one, either A, they never talk about death when someone – you know, in a car accident, they're not – oh, yeah, you're going to be fine. No, you're going to get out of here. And then they die and no one ever said the things they wanted to say. I mean that that happens so often. Priests tell me these stories all the time about how terrified people are to talk about death in our youth-obsessed culture. But the other thing is once you've acclimated yourself to that, then you can prepare. Then everyone can prepare. Then it's not like this epic tragedy. I mean it still is a tragedy, um, but it becomes this passing instead of this abrupt ripping away from our lives. And. It's amazing how God works in those instances. My, me and my family, I think, because we, we would always say anytime before, anytime before 2008, if you were to ask us if we were close, we would say, of course. And I, and I believe that we were. Yeah. But there was a new reality that we entered yeah. after that. I saw Christina was only 17 about to start high school in a week grow up overnight i mean i should grow up in a matter of hours and uh i I can't explain the bond that we had after that yeah i can't i can't explain the the as much as we hated what what we were going through i think there's a there's grace that comes about when you're experiencing horrible things. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's and, and, cause like, because with 
Oh, my dad, for those of you guys that don't know, and probably, I don't know who knows and who doesn't. I mean, it was a matter of hours. Um, it was about an hour and a half of, oh my gosh, this isn't good. I mean, I can remember he was, he like, he was having, um, problems breathing. So we were going to go and take him to the ER and I had to tie his shoes. Yeah. Oh, that's being, right. And yeah. I remember just kind of being like, oh, like, this is how I can serve my dad right now. I can, I, I can't do anything to help him out, but like, I can, uh, I can't do this. And then when we got into the car, it was really bad. And so we had to call an ambulance and that's all I kind of want to uh, go into it yeah. for now. But, yeah. um, what was the point that I was trying to make? You remember? Uh, you talking about how close you got to with Christina and all you could oh, do yeah. and just, shoes. you know, and like, and cause you know, I was a 25 about to move out to uh, California, which is a crazy story in and of itself. <laughs> I was supposed to be on the road at that point in time. Oh, uh, right, right. Yeah. It was insane. Uh, I, long story short, I really kind of felt the Holy spirit tell me at, uh, at a four way stop a couple days before that I should, that I should fly out there instead of driving. So Christina could have a car that year. Um, which I think ultimately ended up being a good thing as well. <laughs> um, yeah. and just and anyway, it's just, it was crazy how just, cause, and cause we were, we were tight, but you know, I mean, when I left to go to college, Christina was going in the fifth grade, you know, so all of a sudden I am 25 and she's a junior about to be a senior, you know, like things that just changed so much. And so it was cool to be able to like, I feel like we, that, our relationship dramatically changed for the better after that point in time. Yeah. You know, I wish it didn't take that. I'll be very honest, but I am thankful that the result of it was that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great line, uh, in scripture where it just St. Paul says, um, God works for the good for those who love him. And it doesn't mean that you will never have bad things, but it means that God can work within those things in the midst of those things. Um, can work something good, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's been plenty, like, I mean, I don't know. Well, that's why there's this really popular video from the famous atheist, uh, Stephen Fry, um, UK author, funny man, athlete or athlete actor, (laughs) not an athlete at all. Uh, gay advocate, gay man himself, all this stuff. Um, where he, someone said, if you were to die and stand before, and definitely a new atheist, he's a big jerk about being an atheist. And he said, if you were to die before and stand before God, you know, he's like, what would you say to him? And he said, you're fired. Like you're the worst. If you're really God and you really existed and this is all the little kids with cancer and all these people that are dying, he's like, you, you failed, you should be fired. And then, um, he ended it by, or not ended it, but he just said, you know, what is the deal with all this pointless suffering and father, uh, Robert Barron had a follow-up commentary because, you know, obviously Stephen Fry's thing blew up and he just said, um, he just said that, uh, you don't know. See, this is the problem with the atheist. It's all built on presuppositions that suffering doesn't matter, that even the suffering of a child, we don't know what it matters. You know, we say it's meaningless. We don't know if it's meaningless. And there's so much presumed on this that this is – and this is the answer. Like Christianity, if you read scripture, it doesn't tell you why people suffer. The answer to suffering is the crucified God, right? So the answer to suffering is not God. If you're all-powerful and you're all-good, 
you can take it away and you'd want to take it away. And yet we still have suffering. So what are you doing? Why are you letting me deal with this broken heart or this broken body or this broken mind? Why haven't you fixed all of this shit? Like, why am I still stuck in the shit? You know, I'm yours. I'm trying, you know, it's, it's like the last, I mean, I've been to two funerals for babies, right? Mm -hmm. In the, in, in mm -hmm. the last, the last two funerals I've been to, I've been for babies and it breaks your heart to see this tiny little coffin and, you know, and I'm there, my, my son's first mass, um, you know, baby Thomas, he's three weeks old today. His first mass was a funeral mass for a baby who was due pretty much the same day. And you're sitting there and you're like, if you can fix it and you'd want to fix it, why don't you fix it? And the answer that Christ gave us is I'm right here in the middle of it. I'm not somewhere, I'm not in some lofty throne surrounded by gold and you know, fat babies with wings singing songs to me on harps. I am, I am literally crucified with you. That's the thing. That's the distinction of Christianity. You know, the things that drives me nuts about atheists where they're like, Christianity stole. It's like the most unoriginal religion. Like there's all these like resurrection religions and all this stuff and the death of Osiris and the resurrection of Osiris and all this stuff. And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Christ took your sin and died, but he entered into the whole drama of human suffering, alienation, isolation, depression, mm -hmm. mental, physical, the whole thing. Not just he just waved his hand and made all the badness go away. Is he, he entered into the suffering so that no one suffers alone. And, uh, and, and for me, there, there, is no console, there is no answer to why, right? I mean, we'll find that out when we get to heaven. Okay. But most people are like, just tell me why. Just tell me why. Tell me why all these bad things are happening. And if, I, if you were to ask me that, I could, I could not give you an answer that would satisfy you. Because you would have 50 other whys. Well, then why that? Then why this? Then why not? And then, you know. And so the whole deal is, is, is simply like, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you why because your brain will run to 50 other questions. I'm just going to suffer with you. And that's it. One of the great things that my dad taught me is my whole life, my dad was a disabled. So I never really knew what it was like to have a normal father in the sense that we couldn't really go outside, play catch. Oh, never right. really went to sport games. Uh, is sport games a term? I don't think it is. Sports <laughs> um, games. Sports ball. Sports ball. That's uh, stuff that I would say. I'm surprised at you. Exactly. Uh, like we never, you know, but like we, but, but then we did a lot of awesome, a lot of awesome stuff too. Like played a lot of a Monopoly and blah blah blah, and we watched a lot of great movies and just a lot of awesome stuff. Um, but to see the way that he bore his suffering taught me, and I'm still wrapping my mind around this. So it's not something that I've you know perfected or that I do well, but taught me that when you suffer, it doesn't have to be pointless. Because he always talked about how he was offering it up for uh, for. Uh, you know, he would have people who would call and ask for like specific things. Can you offer this up for whatever? Yeah. Um, I was always say that's really that's wow. Like, so there's a point to all of this, you know. So I think at times when things have gotten, when I've experienced stuff that was not of my own making or my own wounds, it's been relatively. I've been able to understand the greater purpose behind all. Like so, the idea of 
why is this happening? At times it can be overwhelming, but I, I've never really had to struggle with that because I saw my dad bear that cross in a really profoundly great way. Yeah. And it just was really, I was like, wow. Like, and you know, like, and honestly, when he died, I remember my first thought was like, it's over. Like his suffering is over with praise God, which was a like, I, I, it was a horrible thing to have to say. But I remember just telling, having to consult uh, my mom, like, he's okay now. Like, he's okay now. Like, he ran his race. His, uh, like, his journey is done. Uh, he fought the good fight. Like, you know, like, going, you know, I don't know. It was really, I just felt such peace in a, in a way that, yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I definitely pray for my dad's soul. And I, and I, um, but I really, want to believe so desperately that like he's in heaven with God. And I, and I, I don't know. I mean, we're getting into some weird theology here and we don't have to go down this, this road, but I don't know. I, I, I just, I find a lot. I really do believe that he's in a better place. Yeah. And I know within, and within our religion, there's a lot of ideas like, well, what exactly does it look like? And blah, blah, blah. blah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that my dad is a canonized saint. I'm just saying that, you know, he's someone who he practiced his faith. He lived the life. He had a deep, deep, profoundly uh, strong prayer life. Um, I just kind of have to, I, I just feel a lot of peace and a consolation when I think of that. Yeah. There's a, a great line from St. Peter where he says, uh, he who has suffered has ceased from sin or some translations will say has broken from sin. And when you think about the suffering that your dad went through, since I've known him, you know, my freshman year, um, our freshman year, going and visiting <laughs> every Thanksgiving uh, <laughs> and entering into the basement that time forgot. And oh, such a great place. Playing, so much pod racing. Playing pod racing. <laughs> so much pod racing. Pod racing with your sister. Whoop. <laughs> and you're like, oh, here we go. And then it ended up being a hallmark moment. But, you know, I mean, he always suffered a cease from sin. That's huge. I, I just really feel like our culture, like bring it back to like millennials, right? Like us, our generation. Um, living in an emotivist, uh, sensualist culture where – you know, I mean, how many people no, – I'm not going to go down that. The idea of our culture is it is very hedonistic. It is make me happy. Bend this towards me. Make – fix me. Change this. And I love how the idea was that, like, that you were thinking about was I feel like God was telling me to just go outside myself, you know, and take those baby steps and just like walk away. But, I mean, I've heard these great spiritual advice that when you are suffering <clears> – <throat> And what you want to do, what the, the fallen flesh kind of wants to do is turn inward and just woe is me constantly that what actually the best thing to do is to go serve your neighbor. Because then what you'll do is you'll get connected. To, number one is you'll find out that some other people are suffering a lot worse than you are. Mm -hmm. um, you'll, you know, it's like I used to lament that I didn't have any shoes until I met the man who didn't have any feet. And you're like, oh, damn. Um but that whole notion of like getting outside of yourself allows you to have perspective and breathing room without cheapening the suffering, right? Because mm -hmm. I don't – I mean like when you break up with someone and then hook up with a girl in order to have a rebound to get over that hurt, you're you're hurting the rebound girl even if it's consensual, you know, and she knows that she's just a rebound, you know, hook up, whatever. Um you're still hurting that person, but you're you're still not dealing with their problems. When you turn to drinking or drugs to get over a deeply rooted pain, you're not fixing the source of the pain. 
And so what's going to happen is it's just going to be made worse and worse and worse. Um, but so the, this notion of like, I'm going through suffering. What do I do? Well, number one, what's the cause of your suffering? Are you doing it to yourself? Is it external? Someone doing it to you? Is it just someone you love that's suffering? And then from that, you can you can really see like I'm doing this to myself. I'm I'm remaining in the sorrow. And I mean, there's actually a quote in in the Old Testament where it talks about um, like let your weeping be bitter and your wailing be fervent. Observe the mourning, and it says, but do it for a day or two, and then be comforted. <laughs> and it's like, wait, what? And it's talking about at the death of someone. And it's like, yeah, because if all you do is focus on the sorrow, you are going to die. Like you, there's a death in that where you you just close yourself off, you know? I can remember being at Cross Free Tavern, which is the greatest bar in the entire world. Well, the English-speaking world. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's for sure. It was August <laughs> of 2005. And... I made the choice to try to get over this girl. I said, you know what? It's just, I got to go. I'm like, I, it's been been like two months, two or three months at the point in time. I was like, nah, I think it was two months. I don't know. Who cares? I was like, it's, it is time. And I was at the bar and everyone's like, hey, how you doing, bud? I'm like, you know, I'm good. I'm good. And this one girl just, you know, uh, we we like talking and she, she, and she asked me how I was doing. I said, I'm good. And she goes, no, you're not. And it was like the worst thing I could have heard. And I'm not trying uh, to blame her because I was trying to put up like a good face. But in, but in that moment, I chose to believe her and believe what she said. I think that was a really dumb move on my part. Now, there were many other moments after that fact, many, 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 many other moments where I could have tried to have been better and I, and I didn't, you know, so it, but I, I can just remember it. I hadn't fully accepted the fact that a lot of it was my own choice, you know, and that's, um, and what, I mean, like, I know we can't answer this now, but why do you think you chose it? I had believed a lie about myself for a really, really long time. And It was easier to keep believing that that was the safe thing to do instead of hoping. You know, I, I was weak. I wasn't brave. I was the exact opposite of brave. When it came to fight or to flight, I fled. And I just fled into myself. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's. Sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to think about it. It's, it's, it's weird to have to like re-enter all this stuff again, it, which I mean, I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. I haven't thought about it in a really long time. Yeah. Um, years. Uh, yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, to some extent, I don't know. I mean, that's, that sounds like such a simple answer. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of truth in that, but I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I really, um, I think that I'd, I think that I was in, I do think going to a school like Franciscan and I love that school. I love that school. My kids have no other choice to go, but to go anywhere else, but there, um, I do believe that the unhealthy dating culture that I had actively participated in didn't help either. Yeah. Cause I think I bought in the lab like, Oh, well this is the one that I was, that I am supposed to be with. Yeah. Like this, this, I believe the script had been written 
Yeah. You, you know had your you met, you liked each other, and then you had the talk where you yeah. the talk is just a really long talk about your life that you share with someone. And then the next day you're dating and you're holding hands and you're we're going like, to the port together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I really, I mean, I think she was the first girl that I ever, that I ever dated that I, I truly loved her. Like yeah. I, I really, I still, I mean, um, I don't, I don't still, I love her. I mean, I still yeah. believe I, I, you know, I can look back on that relationship and go, that was, yeah, that was genuine, you know? And yeah. so I think having to, I, I remember, I mean, I went to counseling about it, and she told me, you're going through the stages of grief. Yeah. And she was like, why are you doing that? <laughs> like, like, well, why are you, like, you're, you're I mean, I, I think she was trying to, like, give me to think about it. But, you know, I was processing it like a death. Yeah. And so I think I viewed it as the death of my future. My future was written. I thought it was, I mean, not. Yeah, no, I got you. It was scripted you know, out. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and but it's, I, but I don't want it. I don't want anyone to think that it was also that simple, although that was a big part of it. Yeah. Am I being weird? No. 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 I mean, it just, it was, there was, no, I mean, you went through a loss. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. You are grieving the end of a relationship where you probably your first real love, like adult love Mm -hmm. and it died. I think right now, um, I mean, we're round in an hour. Oh, good. Uh, just kind of focusing on this, this notion of the darkness of humanity, like Josh Duggar dug himself in, into a pattern of, uh, sexual deviancy, right? Starting, we we don't know when it started, that it led to him, you know, doing whatever, molesting his siblings when they, I think they were like asleep when it happened or something weird, but all of that stuff and then it bleeding into him looking at pornography and bleeding into him signing up for – even though he had a wife and kids, signing up for Ashley Madison and having multiple affairs. Um, the the reality is this, right? So you talked about that scripture theme of the mat, get off the mat. Uh, maybe some people don't know what that's a reference to. The story of these this paraplegic trying to get healed by Jesus. And there were so many people following Jesus that they couldn't have access to him. So Jesus is in someone's house. And they're trying to get access. So they go and they grab their buddy who's on a mat and they pick him up off the mat. They take him onto the roof and they rip the roof apart and then lower him down right in front of Jesus. I mean, could you imagine the tenacity of those friends? Right. That is forever, in my mind, the perfect symbol of accountability Mm -hmm. because they're not telling him to get over it. Right. They're not telling him, well, you know, we can fix, you know, we can do some adjustments. There's a new normal. And those are all well and good human advice. But they're like, no, we are going to get you to Jesus. And then they endure all the craziness of taking him to Jesus, including ripping apart someone's roof, lowering him down right there in front of Jesus. And Jesus is like, your faith has healed you. You know, and and then everyone freaks out and he says what's more important me to say your faith has healed you or rise take up your mat and walk and you know what's really funny about that is saying rise take up your mat and walk is more important only if you care about appearances which the pharisees did right so he was like your your sins are forgiven and then everyone's freaking out only god can forgive sins and he goes okay well what if i were to tell him rise take up your mat and walk and he goes okay so but so that everyone may know Rise, take up your mat and walk. Your sins are forgiven. And then the guy gets up and rolls up his mat and walks away. 
And the funny thing is, like, so often we scream at God for deliverance from the darkness, and we don't really know what the real darkness is. And for me, in my relationship with my wife, when I broke up with her and self-inflicted all of that pain and suffering and then tried to win her back by proposing to her, and she said, for me, the classic line, that's why I love her, she's so strong, but she said, and now it's me saying no to you. And she got up and walked away. And I'm like, no, no, that's not how this is supposed to go. The script is different. This, the <laughs> script is you're so moved that we go and – oh, shit. Um, Joss Whedon p- clearly put this plot point in here. And then Dorothy and Blanche are supposed to show up <laughs> <laughs> and Ruth or whatever her name is. Um, but Chew the- your food like the way they taught you in Shady Pines, Ma. <laughs> Thank you. But that was up for my sisters. Go on. Yes. Yeah. So, but, but um, when I would pray, I was like, God, fix this, fix this. And I, I honestly know that from the beginning of the end of that summer, the beginning is when it all fell apart and the summer is when we were reconciled. God was like, I'm not fixing the situation. I'm fixing you. You're the problem. She wasn't the – now, this isn't for every suffering you're going through. You're not the problem for every – you know, you're not causing all of this. But what I had done was I valued my freedom just a little bit more than I valued my love for her. You know, it's like – you know, and I think that's a quintessentially American thing. The highest of all values is my personal autonomy. I don't want to have kids. It's going to limit me. I don't want to get married. That's going to limit my options. I don't want to be tied down. And yet what people don't understand is that once you do the thing, there is a new type of freedom, a freedom to love someone with complete abandon because you know they're going nowhere because they said I do. And my whole thing with Shannon was I was a man child and God used that suffering to make me a man. Not so I wouldn't be a little boy anymore. I want, I want, I want, I want is at the end of that time period of suffering, I was like, Oh, this is clearly what was wrong with me. I subordinated her to my conception of freedom. And she, though I loved her, I loved her only insofar as it wouldn't interfere with my plans. And she interfered with my plans by saying, we need to pursue marriage or this relationship is over. And so I just chose that this relationship is over. And that was the wake-up call. It wasn't it, – to me, that was the – your sins are forgiven regardless of whether you – And now I'm lucky I had the happy ending where we connected again. But I knew that at the end of that summer, I would never see – or I thought I would never get back together with Shane again. She wasn't even talking to me at all. And Mm -hmm. so I knew. I was just sitting there like, okay, the Lord has brought my interior life to such a point, you know, rearranged my existence. But I'm I'm, I'm never going to see Shannon again. Okay. And it was only until I could get to that place that, you know. That, that other things could happen. It's funny. Whenever I share about my relationship with Shane, especially that breakup part, especially with high school students, I'll have a line of guys. And every one of those guys I know is a hopeless romantic who was just broken up by his girlfriend <laughs> and he's desperate to win her back. And every single one of them are like, dude, man, you just, your story spoke to me. I just really want to get her back. And I'm like, it's not about getting the girl back. It's about growing up, you know? Yeah. And, and to a certain extent, cause I, are you ultimately glad that you went through that? It is so weird to say yes. Yes. I mean, I absolutely am. I, I, I would not be. See, I think I, that I, what I did was plan B. Like I should have been addressing these things and doing this in a much better way intentionally ahead of time. And instead, 
I just sat on my ass and let the ruin just overtake me. And it, it took this violent shakeup for me to grow up. I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't trade that pain for anything. I used to say that I'm going through hell. And then I realized, looking back, I was going through purgatory. The difference between those oh, souls yeah. in hell and those souls in purgatory is it might be the same fire. Let's just pretend and say theologically. The same pain and suffering they both endure. I said, but here's the difference. Those in purgatory have hope. Everyone in purgatory is going to go to heaven. It's purifying you of your last attachments to this world, to sin, to death, to darkness. It's preparing you. Scripture says nothing impure will enter the kingdom of heaven. So purgatory is the burn away your impurity. So let's say it's the same fires. The people in purgatory have hope. Dante famously put on the doors of the inferno, abandon all hope ye who enter here. And I just knew that in the midst of like when I had no more human hope left, that's where the virtue, the gift, the theological virtue of hope starts. It's when all human hope fails. That's where theological hope begins. That's where God hope begins. Yeah. I think that's a great – oh, really quick. Do you want to know who really was a great – I think a person who helped – well, you know who was it during the week of, of my dad's death? you want to know who was a really big help? Who? Aunt D. Aunt? Aunt D. Aunt D. Aunt D. Just by her – I mean honestly, I will say this. Like honestly, just by her Christian joy and the way that she lived her life and the way that she – just was there for all of us during that time. It was so, it was such like a, both her and, um, and, um, and have you met my uncle Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he'll be at the wedding. Um, him too, him and I told him to say me a dance. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, and you know, just, just by them being them, it was really cool. So it just like our, when, you know, I, I, I like, what you said by accountability to like, you know, that helped that, that, that guy who was the paraplegic and how all, yeah. and all of his friends and stuff. And I think I agree about the accountability part. I think another side of that coin is just you being you. And that helps people during those times. It's just, you know, it was, they were just being my aunt and uncle, you know, and it was great. It was really cool. Yeah. So, sorry, I was just, I was, uh, trying to find a way to do an anti-reference and i found one and i found one through the paraplegic story on the mats okay good deal (laughs) well i think we should wrap this episode up Um, i am emotionally exhausted (laughs) (laughs) i have to pee really bad because i was so tired i've been watching uh a particular trilogy that was made in the late 70s early 80s uh with my kids and i keep falling asleep because i'm so tired but anywho um we can talk about that later yes and i'm excited to talk about it later but uh yeah, so um, ending this, um, I'm at the Lay Evangelist. Luke, you're at the Luke the. Um, but really, I want you to end it, Luke, with just talking about what you what what music is making you happy today. Uh, me and my buddy Scott have a playlist called uh, called. Well, it's named after a bar we should go to out in Eureka called Dave's, and it's all the songs we play on. Oh, the jukebox. I'm going to go with the Abbott Brothers. I am loving you. That was great. Oh, and Michael Bolton. Good stuff. That's a great, great playlist. It's over <laughs> on Spotify. Check it out. I'm very proud of that. Oh, man. That's awesome. Michael oh, Bolton. Really quick. Oh, uh, what are you What are you listening to? I had one more thing to say. Yeah. Uh, there's a song called Satellite Kite from Beautiful Eulogy. Satellite 
in my hand like a diamond in the sky. My con. Wait, did I just do Twinkle Twinkle Little Star? Or was that part of the song? Satellite like a diamond in the sky? Is that Twinkle Twinkle Little Star? I don't know. I and don't know. That's what I said. What? You might want to bleep it out. I went, Mike Hahn. <laughs> he was Dave Matthews for all he of was. us. I remember he, he did a version of Halloween, and I was like, oh, man, that's why we are friends. That is so dark. Anyways, <laughs> go on. You listen to who? Uh, I already said it. Beautiful eulogy. Uh, great, great music. They do a lot of instrumental stuff, but they have a song called Satellite Kite. It's a good song. Cool. Yeah. Um, Hit us up on iTunes. Give us a rating and a review. We're on. We are on Facebook. Uh, Facebook dot com slash Catching Foxes Podcast, and on Twitter at C Foxes Podcast at C Foxes Podcast. Love you, buddy. Love you too. Adios, everyone. Peace.